The following is a Barrett Sports Media production. Every sports media star has a story. From the highs... We are number one. We just grabbed every key demographic. <laughs> to the lows... You're fired! The path to success is always different. To help you learn more about the industry's top broadcasters, Barrett Sports Media brings you the Sports Talkers Podcast. Now, here's your host... Stephen Strong. Episode 30. 30 episodes of the Sports Talkers podcast. And today, to celebrate it, we have the voice of the Chicago White Sox and Fox play-by-play broadcaster, Jason Benetti. Welcome in here. BarrettSportsMedia.com. Make sure to rate, subscribe, and review. What a conversation we had with Jason Benetti. We talked about his path taking over for Hawk Harrelson in Chicago. How to spice up a baseball broadcast. His move from ESPN to Fox and just an emotional call that he had the first time he called Navi Garcia home run. Navi Garcia, player for the White Sox. And, you know, we know that Jason grew up in Chicago. So to call games for his hometown team is something really special to him. So uh, really excited to share the conversation with you guys. Make sure to check out all the other podcasts on BarrettSportsMedia.com. And without further ado, let's not waste any more time. Here is Jason Bonetti. The number one thing that popped out to me was your Twitter profile picture with Snoop Dogg. And he has a shirt that says, ain't nothing but a G thing. Does it feel as cool uh, as it looks, Jason? Uh, I mean, the thing about it is we Snoop's son, Cordell, was playing wide receiver for uh, Bishop Gorman uh, High School when I was doing the ESPNU high school football package. And we had a rain delay in the game. So we just happened to have Snoop come up and we talked to Snoop for a while, and I was like, okay, hi, Snoop. <laughs> uh, let's talk about stuff. Let's talk about your son. And it's funny you mentioned the shirt because I said uh, I said something like, where can I get one of those shirts? And he said something like, you got to talk to my wife. She does the merchandising or something <laughs> like that. And I was like, okay, all right. He said something like, all you got to do is have twenty nine ninety five or That's something. That's it. That's okay. it. Sounds exactly like Snoop. Uh, All right, Jason. So you're born in Chicago. You went to college at Syracuse. You ended up getting your law degree at Wake Forest, which is becoming a little bit of a trend. I had Mike Florio on. He got his law degree. Um, Did you? He actually uses it. (laughs) Um, Let's just first start there. Why? Why the law degree? If you knew you wanted to do sports the entire time. Yeah, I was really fortunate to go to a school at Wake Forest. Wake Forest Law that uh, let me do games while I was going to law school. So I was the voice of uh, D1 school in the Big South, High Point University. During that time, I was doing basketball games. And then I was also working at what now has become IMG Learfield. Uh, It was ISP Sports, then IMG College at the time. And I was the studio host for Georgia Tech and Georgia and Florida State and Notre Dame. And so I would go in there and do like pre and post and halftime updates for football and basketball. And I would do high point games while I was going to law school. Like I I didn't stop doing games, Mm. but uh, Wake Forest was great about me uh, going to school kind of as long as I did the work. They were happy to have me in school with my other pursuits. I actually, with my uh, application to Wake Law, I sent them, that now I'm old, I sent them a CD of my work. I was like, here, here's what I do. Yeah. You want uh, me or not? Like a demo, yep. 
when did you feel like you were picking up steam? Because there's times in this industry where, you know, you might be doing a minor league game and you're doing uh, X amount of travel and you're sitting there and you might start questioning yourself, you know, am I going to make it? You know, when did you feel like, I guess you started to pick up steam at what age and, and where were you, where you thought, okay, you know what? Like I got to stick this thing through. Cause I can see light at the end of the tunnel. You know, it's interesting. I, I never really, when I graduated from college, I never really thought about it as like, being popular, like having a brand, like none of that really registered to me. Like I yeah. wanted to be, my whole goal was like to be the voice of a program, whoever it was. And so like right out of college, I did DePaul women's basketball for a year and like I was calling games. So I was happy. Like I, in 05, when I left college, it was like, I want to do radio. Like TV wasn't really a thing that I even did in college. And so I just wanted a program to do a school, a team, whatever it was. And so like picking up steam, if you said that to me, then I would be like, oh, is there steam to be picked up? Like, should <laughs> I, should I think about doing that? Like, is there right. like an espresso machine that I should talk to or something like that? When ESPN gave me my first game in 2011, uh, it was a Syracuse game, ESPN three, ESPN plus. How like, old were you at that time? Uh, 2011. So I was like 28 something like that. They gave me my first game and I did like four games that season. The next year I had a package of games. And then the year after that, I did some more games. And then I finally started doing football for them in 2014. Uh, in uh, that, I guess is when it happened. You know, then I got hired by the white Sox in 2016. And I think more people became aware of my work, Yeah, but I've never been the guy who like chases popularity like i uh, even like back to being eight years old right yeah, like it wasn't yeah. a thing i just i i wanted to be really 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 good at the craft i wanted to like make my next game better than my last game and so I, I, it was when espn started giving me games and then when the white Sox hired me but i also knew that like there was much more of a ceiling from my work even when i got hired by those people because i just didn't have a lot of tv mm. experience because you do baseball, you are the voice of the Chicago White Sox, 162 games. I know you don't do all of them. Uh, maybe you do, actually. I guess I'm just assuming that. Um, but, uh, you know, how do you keep your vernacular fresh throughout that season? You can get in-depth about this, but I'm always curious on uh, how you, you know, learn or, you know, you got to change up the way that you might describe something because, you know, the audience is listening to you every night and they can pick up on that. Yeah, the stress descriptively, I think, happens more on radio. That doesn't mean it doesn't exist on television. But like when I was doing radio full time, it was always like, what book can I read? Where can I pull something in terms of vocabulary? Like I, I when I was doing radio, especially I read a lot of fiction uh, because I think that's where the creative impulse to pull something and describe something that comes from totally somewhere else and can be applied to sports. Like that's where I get that inspiration is from books and from seeing people talk about stuff in other realms. And maybe I can patch it onto sports somehow, like sew it onto a play that people haven't heard before. I, I think in baseball, the challenge is, especially when you're the voice of a team, is to know something new about guys that people have seen play a thousand times possibly, right? Mm. Like if they, if they have been on your team, whatever player for the last seven seasons, they've played somewhere in the range of 800, 900, a thousand games for your team. 
what new do I know about that person? So I, the key really is being in the clubhouse and the key is talking to people and asking questions that might be inane on the surface, but might gather some evidence of who they are mm. beyond what they even woke up thinking they were going to talk about, right? I had somebody at a seminar once say that they asked questions that are distant enough to feel safe to answer. And I uh, subscribe to that theory that if the question doesn't feel like, are you playing today? Right. And it's more like in the past when you haven't played, you know, like they're distant enough that it's not about the thing that the person is protecting. Sure. It's not really like, I don't necessarily, I'm not the guy who like needs to go be a beat reporter and ask the injury report questions. So that's uh positive in my job is that I, I know other people are going to do that. So I don't have to do that. So I can ask those questions that are maybe like one or two standard deviations from what people expect. And that is where I think you make your bones uh, doing a local team on television. Let's stick with the White Sox because you took over for a legend, Hawk Harrelson. You know, what was that like first? I know it's you're not supposed to ask two questions in one, but I'm doing it because it's my podcast. You know what? You do what you I'm want. I'm doing it. What was that, I guess, like for you to take over someone that you grew up watching it? And what advice did he give you and just your relationship with him? Uh, as people do, second one first, because that's the one I remember most. Uh, the it, he said to me before I even sat in the chair, I'm going to be me, you be you, and we'll both be great, basically, was the crux of his advice. And I didn't have to try to be Hawk. And I, I don't have to try to have the pieces of Chicago White Sox fandom that he's ingrained in people because I lived it, right? Mm. Like every once in a while, there's a bad call. And I'm like, uh, like I, I have to like not say you got to be bleeping me <laughs> right? yeah, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because I lived it right? like that's the ethos that's the experience of being uh, around the team for years and years and in the catchphrases and everything like I used to do a hawk impression when I was growing up so like you know foul ball is like, <laughs> right size wrong shape uh oh oh boy I can't do like there are pieces that you're like I, I'm not going to do that because yeah. that's what he did right but I listened to so many of them uh, and then you know, I think what it was like was simply uh, there was a trust factor that I had in myself, right? Without being overly arrogant, but you have to go on the air with some version of belief, right? You can't pitch in the major leagues without thinking you're going to get the other guy out. Yep. And if I sat in that chair and I thought like, oh, like, what do I do now? And what do I do here? Like, I, I had to be self-assured. Uh, to know that what I was going to do was going to go to a lot of people. And I have confidence in it because I did 10 years of minor league baseball. Like yep. That's that's where I quote unquote workshopped stuff without meaning to, right? I was just doing a lot of games. And mm. at that point, you figure out what works for you, what doesn't work for you. I mean, a number of my friends uh, growing up would say like I used them as a focus group playing Madden. Right. Like, and they're like, shut up. We just want to play Seahawks Rams. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but you're calling the game again. That's a problem for us. So, uh, you know, I, part of it was I just believed that whatever was going to happen, 
I knew what was going to come out of my mouth. Like I, mm. I trusted whatever I was going to do was going to be mine uniquely. And I, I didn't have like a crisis of personality where I was like, oh, what am I? Mm. Last one on the socks, Jason, because I was reading an article and uh, one of the quotes from it was Avi Garcia hit a homer for the socks. Benetti recalls and the ball cleared the fence. I made the call and I don't know why I started to well up. It was like I was 12 again. Uh, how close were you, I guess, to uh, breaking down and, and you know, just take us back to that moment? I, yeah, I just needed a second, right? Like I just, it was, it was a little like, uh, like Michael Scott in the office when they're singing the rent parody of seasons of love. Like he's like, he's like, Oh, this is nice. Right. And he's like, he's not crying, but he feels something. And I, I, I was like, man, cause I, I went in and my first thought was I'm going to be a professional. Right. Like I, I, I didn't mean to sound like uh, Bill Curtis there for a second, but like, I'm going to be a professional. That's what I'm going to do. Yeah. Like, newsman, objective sort of, because I had to push myself there because I grew up in that stadium. And so, you know, I don't want to go crazy, crazy. Like I have to have some version of, of me and like professionalism. And, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I don't because professionalism, I think makes you think that there are more rules than there need to be, but just some version of control over myself because I have I've gone to school and I've learned all these things and I've had all these experiences. So I'm not a kid anymore. Right. right? Well, guess what? Like you can't avoid how you grew up. So like, that's the deal. I, I, that Homer happened. And I was like, the socks are going to win. This is kind of fun. <laughs> like I've been there before. Absolutely. You were at ESPN for uh, quite some time and, and now you're at Fox. Why did you make that move? Yeah, ESPN was awesome to me. Like they were such a large part of this working on television and who I am. And they, you know, Jimmy Pitaro was fantastic to me when he ascended to be the, the president and so many other people, you know, Phil Orland's the coordinating producer for baseball and David Seisler on basketball and Brian Yarrow for football and like so many people, producers and friends and everybody like made it really feel like home. But I did feel like the opportunities to grow there were shrinking. Uh, and, and it's not all about bigger games, but it is working with people routinely that I love to work with. Like the biggest thing I miss at ESPN interpersonally is doing games with Robbie Hummel, because I think Robbie is an absolute star in mm. this business. And we had a really cool like south suburbs of Chicago, northwest Indiana, Valpo kind of vibe. Like we grew up watching the same movies and we just hit it off very quickly. And I think he is an, an absolute dynamo in this industry. And I, I you know, frankly, I think uh, he's underused uh, in a big way because he is phenomenal. And I, you know, sometimes I look and I'm like, what, what is why? What's yeah. going on there? Because he is, you know, he should be the Dan Orlovsky of college basketball and he's not. And, and I don't get it. But, uh, you know, in terms of why I went to Fox, like uh, I was a quote unquote free agent. And I, you know, I got such a great vibe from the people at Fox and the feeling that they wanted me to do games that were bigger than what I was doing, at, you know, over at ESPN. And I, you know, I, Carl Ravitch has been phenomenal to me and he is a really good person. And, and so I don't want anybody to take this any other way because I, I, I love Ravi and he's been great to me, but 
you know, the opportunity of Sunday night baseball arose and it went that direction. And then the stat cast games went away because of K-Rod, which, you know, programming decision and all that stuff. But at some point, where where am I and where are the other play by play? Well, yeah, not even just me, but like where are the other young play by play announcers going to get opportunities? And and so I think that's why having a bunch of people in the marketplace is huge. And Fox, you know, Fox put me with Brock Heward and Allison Williams and our producer, Bo Garrett, and our director, Darren Foster. Like we have a phenomenal college football crew on those games. Mm. And we got, we got daggers all year long. Like we had amazing college football games. And, you know, I get to work with Bill Raftery for college basketball, and he's an absolutely generous, beautiful human being who always has a joke about me picking up the check, right? (laughs) Uh, And everybody else that he's worked with. And I I love the guy dearly. So, you know, the reason was opportunity, but it's not out of ill will or anything. Just a matter of, you know, you see shrinking chances to grow and you have the, uh, the ability, thank goodness, I'm very fortunate to have had the ability of somewhere to land that they really wanted me. And I'm, I'm glad it happened. And I'm glad you're you're happy as well, Jason. Last two for you, and we'll let you go. We really appreciate the time. What broadcasters should younger broadcasters uh, look at and take pieces from? Oh, uh, so it's hard for me to say what people should do uh, because I think everybody has their own taste. And that's where the law school comes out. Like the answer is always... It depends. It depends. Right? Yeah, like that's yeah. what they teach you in law school. And then you pay three years of tuition. No, uh, <laughs> you know, I I like people who have a sense of humor. I like people who have a wit about them and are willing to color outside the lines. So like I and Eagle, I think is just phenomenal. Brian Anderson, I think is phenomenal. Uh, I think, uh, you know, a bunch of people who know my work know, now know that one of the hallmarks of speaking to me is that I might break into Sean McDonough at any point. Uh, <laughs> that's a good one. Yes, that's I, a good one. I love the guy. I think, I mean, he's been an absolutely great friend to me and he's a wonderful soul, but he also has a fantastic sense of humor and can say anything at any time and make you laugh because I demand you laugh. No, he's um, he's great. He's the best uh, but those are a couple guys. And I would have said Doc Emmerich, but he's since retired. I mean, yeah. I'm not a hockey announcer at all, but Doc Emmerich was so good to me when I was young in my career and he watched stuff and listened to stuff and had great advice. So, you know, we've seen some fresh ideas with baseball broadcasts. We've seen them miking up players in the outfield. Uh, do you have any ideas that you, you know, eventually want to experiment with, with a baseball broadcast just to spice it up just a tad? Oh, we got stuff. We always have stuff uh, on the White Sox telecast. Uh, you know, it's really interesting. And, I, you know, I actually have one or two things that I don't want to say because you might see them this year on a White okay. Sox telecast. However, the one thing I do want to say to that is uh, I think it's going to be fascinating to watch these networks uh, decipher how to cover baseball, including our network when you have just less time between pitches, right? This pitch clock is not only going to speed up the game, it's going to speed up commercial break opportunities. It's going to allow us less opportunity right before the first pitch of a half inning to figure out what's about to go on. So I I think you're going to see this year, and I think it's worth watching when people do their storytelling in a, a, pardon me, in a baseball broadcast, because it's, 
it's going to change the cadence and the rhythm of what's happening on a baseball show. And I, that's one of the things I'm most fascinated about this year to go along with how the teams react to all the rule changes, because I think there's going to be a whole spectrum of decisions by networks, by front offices, by managers on how these rules actually should be um, uh, applied to their team. All right. Big thanks to Jason Benetti for joining us today. As always, make sure to follow him on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We will talk to you next Thursday here on the Sports Talkers podcast and BearsportsMedia.com. Make sure to check out all the articles and podcasts that we have on the site. Talk to you next Thursday. Enjoy your weekend.